the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service Livestock Podcast. This podcast is designed to give producers up-to-date information on all things relating to livestock. It's been funded jointly through the Farm Advisory Service Animal Welfare Programme and also the Veterinary Advisory Service. So a big thanks to Scottish Government for their support. Hello and welcome to this this month's podcast. My name is Mark McDonald. I'm filling in for Robert. I'm joined today by Lorna McPherson and Colin Mason. Colin is an SR. SRUC vet based in the Dumfries office and Lorna is a daily consultant um, based in Aberdeenshire with our livestock team. Um, hello and welcome to you both. Um, how's the weather with you guys? It's turned very wet in the in the Black Isle here so it's really um, yeah yeah really focuses the mind on winter and the autumn. Yeah I think today's the first proper day of autumn. It's uh, very very wet so yeah weather's changing. It's been good so far. Yeah. Same in Aberdeenshire, yeah, we've got a very wet morning uh, compared to the weekend where we had 20 degrees both days, so that was, you know, really nice. It's been a really good dry spell, but uh, yeah, definitely turn more into autumn now and a bit cooler temperatures. Yeah, yeah. Um, Colin, do you want to kick us off and tell us a bit about, um, I know it is only just turning wet now, but any issues you're seeing coming in and any things you're going to, we really need to think about moving into autumn? Yeah, there's plenty to think about at this time of year uh and it is really that that time of change uh both in terms of of weather uh, potentially in terms of of housing either for adult cows or certainly for young stock um uh and in terms in sort of diet changes as we sort of settle into winter rations um different forages become available at different times and things change so it doesn't really matter whether you're uh, a permanently housed or partially housed dairy herd or whether it's a a grazing dairy herd things are are, are changing in some way at the moment Um, I think I'd maybe pick up on to start off with we've had a absolutely brilliant summer in this part of the world some really really hot weather and and we're still seeing some of the legacies actually of of heat stress uh in this area um and that certainly through july and august was a a big issue for for house dairy cattle and actually grazing cattle as well uh in this area and and we'll see the legacy of that we've seen some increases in mastitis and some increases in respiratory disease in adult cows in the last month or two uh, and looking forward uh, I think that perhaps concerns me a little bit is as an upsurge in lameness cases into the early part of the autumn um, there could be a couple of reasons for that um, but one definitely relates back to heat stress in that the cows when they're hotter and heat stressed um, they'll stand up for longer which means they spend more time on the feet more pressure on the feet um, line times drop uh, particularly during the day and as a result of that we get more in the way of claw horn lesions so sole ulcers or white line disease feeding through into the autumn so it's certainly something I think for all dairy farmers to be aware of Um, there's quite a long legacy of uh, the the heat stress issues through to the autumn Uh, and 
keeping on top of lame cows and more importantly actually is is identifying uh, cows in the very early stages of lameness or uh, upping the the preventative foot trimming program uh, as we go through the autumn particularly for first lactation animals could be really really important and I suppose the wet wet weather is uh, only going to exasperate that as well um, yeah absolutely and it it won't help so yeah there's there's that challenge for cows that are still at grass or are being planted to to be at grass through um, the remains of September and into October is you know we're going to start to get more in the way of poaching more in the way of muddy gateways more in the way of muddy tracks Um, so that's going to increase the risk of stone damage white line disease um, and actually increase the risk of of more dirty feet which will give us problems with digital dermatitis as well so again the heat stress issues might be slightly different for for cows that have been grazing through the summer and continue to graze into the autumn Uh, Mm. but then they will have more in the way of issues with um, muddy wet underfoot conditions yeah yeah just when we're on the topic of of grazing lorna do you want to kind of discuss a wee bit of the things you need to think about when grazing grass at this time of year you know where it's getting wet as well and the days are getting shorter and how that's going to affect milk yield and, and management in general yeah definitely i think it's a really uh, valid point at this time of year especially when the weather has really just changed and i think the key thing is really just for farmers not to overestimate how much milk grass can support at this time of year. Um, Grass quality, I mean, if you look at the um, information coming out of AHDB and their forest knowledge programme and the grass quality around the country generally still looks like it's relatively good. And some of the recent figures quoted have been about um, grass energy still nearly at 11.5 ME and uh, still in the early 20s for protein. But generally, probably the quality isn't quite as good as what we'd expect it to be earlier in the summer. And if cows are um, having been rotated around the grazing fields now a number of times throughout the season, it is harder for them to keep achieving uh, a good low residual. And it just means that the, the quality of the grass growth on the back of that is not likely to be quite as good. And uh, certainly have heard reports just in the last 10 days to two weeks that milk yields are just starting to drop now in cows at grass. They just don't seem to be milking quite as well. Um, Like you said, Malcolm, the grazing days, uh, the grazing hours are a lot shorter now, like the days are shorter and cows tend to graze very little during the hours of darkness. Um, So, you know, how much milk are actually cows achieving off grass? And in some instances, they'll be uh, achieving very little in fact grass might just be supporting maintenance requirements plus maybe a few litres at the very most when it's a wet day as well we can see a huge difference in the dry matter of the grass so for example on a, a really wet day with a lot of heavy rain the dry matter of the grass might only be about 12 percent but on a good dry day it might be 20 22 percent so on wet days again the amount of dry matter intake and also obviously energy intake from grass is going to be significantly less so it's, it is just good practice, maybe on a wet day, just to, you know, give the cows an extra kilo of cake in the parlour or can you step up a wee bit of the concentrates in the buffer ration? Um, yeah, I think certainly at this time of year when it's turned wet, uh, increasing how much uh, buffer ration the cows are getting, it's just going to really help maintain their condition as well. The last thing we want is for these cows that are grazing into the open to lose too much condition before they come inside for housing because it takes them a while to regain that back.
So yeah, a lot of things just to be uh, thinking about if we're still grazing cows uh, into next month into October. Okay. I think I think just coming coming in on that as well, you've got to weigh up. Um, I think as all farmers do at this time of year, the the potential benefits of grazing versus the potential risks of grazing. So there's definitely nutritional challenges, as Lorna's just said, but there's also, you know, that risk of um, increased lameness, possibly lungworm or parasite risk for for younger milking cows, things like that. Um, So you've got to look at risks versus benefits if the the weather continues to, to stay wet over coming weeks. Yeah, graze grass is a very valuable feed, but I suppose you've just got to be sure you're not. Um, yeah, if if it is very wet, it might not be. It might not be as good as you think it is, and there is other issues by keeping them out as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so keeping that in mind, um, Colin, do you want to you know elaborate a bit more on on the lungworm kind of risk or issue, and maybe also as as the diets are changing, how that's going to affect milk drop syndrome as well? Yeah. So firstly, on very quickly on the lungworm and the the parasite risk. Um, Every year we will see lungworm in adult cattle, milking cows. Uh, We'll also see it in first, second grazing season, young stock as well. Um, I would always say September and October are the biggest risk months for lungworm in grazing cattle. Uh, And if the weather stays mild, then the risk actually can go on longer than that as well. So it's definitely something to be aware of. Um, we tend to see more lungworm in uh, years where the grazing season extended. So uh, if cattle are out of grass for much longer, then we will see more lungwormers as they ingest more parasites. So the risk is very definitely there. Uh, so just be aware, either in adult grazing cows or in, in uh, young stock, is you know, what degree of coughing are you seeing? Um, uh, is there any coughing in the parlour? Um, um, really, cattle shouldn't be coughing at grass, particularly. Um, so if there is a fair amount of coughing there, there is an issue. And just bear in mind as well, particularly for young stock, is every year we'll see a sort of pre-existing lungworm infection potentially make pneumonia issues worse once the cattle are housed. So if you've got a few lungworm floating around within your lungs, uh it may not be sufficient enough to cause really severe disease in its own right, but you bring that animal inside um, subject to some of the other bacterial and viral challenges that they get when they're housed and, and it might make that situation worse. So always beware of, of lungworm at this time of year for sure. Um, I guess making mention of milk drop syndrome, it, it's a really interesting one and we tend to see more of it at this time of year in milking herds um, and it will it can either manifest itself in two ways. One is just that the herd itself is just not milking as well as it should, um, or is just down a few litres on on what's expected. Um, And if the issues are right across the board, then that might suggest that it is a a nutritional issue, whether that is on the back of some of the stuff Lorna's just said about grazing or diet changes, and and perhaps as cows adapt to to new forages um, that are coming on stream at this time of year. the other one, though, are increased infectious disease challenges at this time of year, uh, and that very often presents as individual cows that might suddenly just reduce their feed intake, reduce their milk intake, uh, milk output quite dramatically, uh, and very often run a temperature at the same time. Um, and that sort of classic presentation of reduced food intake, 
reduce milk output, which can be quite dramatic in individual cows uh, and a high temperature suggest that there's an infectious disease that's going through uh, and it's certainly something to be aware of and, and what we see sometimes is is that you just get dribs and drabs you know every day there's another couple of cows that do this uh, so at any one time there might be a small proportion of cows affected but add that up over time and it might amount to quite a few uh, so infectious diseases to think about um salmonella would be one for sure and we always see more salmonella cases in the autumn uh, and salmonella dublin in particular would be the most common one that we see um, ibr possibly although i think in truth we see that less commonly uh, in adult dairy herds that are vaccinated um, and there's a whole range of possible infectious causes that can can take effect here so it's very much one that if you're experiencing issues with cows suddenly dropping their milk production perhaps dropping their feed intake is talk to your vet um, uh, so that that can be investigated appropriately. Okay, okay. Okay, Lorna, um, winter feeding will be starting now or shortly in a, on a lot of farms now. Have you seen a lot of silage analysis? Um, do you know how quality is looking um, through the season and also what kind of stocks are like? I know it's been quite variable across the country. Some places have had good grass growing summers, others not so much. What's your, what's your feeling and thoughts on that? Yeah, there's a huge variation, as there is every year in silage quality, but certainly one of the things that we have noticed this year with first cuts is because we had such a cold start to the season, um, you know, there have been some later first cuts this year, um, and some of these later first cuts, are, they're definitely not as good in terms of energy as what we would expect. Uh, they do tend to be slightly higher in NDF or fibre, but we're also seeing some of these later first cuts just being that wee bit lower uh, and protein as well so that's obviously going to have implications for um, buying in protein supplementation uh, and the cost of rations as well this winter so these uh, maybe slightly lower energy higher fiber uh, first cuts are going to need careful balancing uh, with rapidly fermentable carbohydrates so you know good sources of starch and sugars there just to help the rumen bugs really digest that fibre and forage efficiently uh, and help dry matter intakes as well. So, yeah, generally some of these later first cuts cows just might struggle to milk quite as well on them. Um, in terms of second cuts as well, I mean, I have seen quite a number of analysis of second cut silages, again, with just the quality maybe not being quite as good as what was expected, even though it was thought that the, the grass was taken in good time and maybe, uh, you know, just was just starting to head. So I would say generally maybe quality is uh, maybe not as good as what we hoped for. But going back to the first cuts, uh, the farms that still took their first cuts quite early and, and some of the ones that are doing these multi-cut systems have still got, there is still some good high energy forages out there. I think the important thing is really is know the quality of the forage you've got on farm. So, you know, get all your pits analysed, even if they're not open, get them cored. And then once you do start to uh, open them up, always get a face sample just to double check what the analysis is. Um, some of the silages that would have been made during that really hot spell we had. So in July and August, uh, we had a lot of very dry weather. There's going to be a lot of high dry matter, second cut silages about. Um, and just some of the things to be uh, aware with very high dry matter silages is that can um, mean that the, the ration is quite high in dry matter if we're not using um, like some 
distillery byproducts such as draft or brewer's grains to moisten up the rations so we can see issues with ration sorting. Um, so the way to get around that would be to either maybe add some water into the mix or, or practice compact feeding where you're looking at soaking the concentrates with quite high levels of water overnight and then adding the forage to the mixer wagon after that just to really try and bind uh, the concentrates with the forages together and greatly reduce how much these cows can sort the ration and you know eat all the goodies first because the risk of that is that it sets them up a bit more for acidosis and more fluctuation and ruin pH um, so yeah trying to deal with high dry matter silages is just maybe something to be aware of but also just the keeping quality of that silage as well so drier silages are a lot more difficult to compact in the pit they're a bit more spongy uh, and easier for, for air to uh, ingress into the face as well so the keeping quality might not just be quite as good uh, and with that we maybe uh, see the risk of mycotoxins as well but like I say I think the important thing is know the quality of the forages you've got um, and you know if you obviously keep the best quality for the milking herd and if you can allocate some of the you know if there is poorer quality forages there for, for young stock or dry cows I think when we go forward and thinking about um, you know, winter feeding and, and the high cost of concentrate feeds as well, we want to just try and be maximising how much milk we're producing from forage as much as possible. Um, you mentioned silage stocks as well, Malcolm, and I think generally I would have said silage stocks around the country is pretty good, but again, there will be uh, certain areas where they have really had a lack of rain this summer and they haven't had big second cuts um, or whether they've managed to make that up with third cuts or, or whole crop, um, you know, as a possibility. But again, it's a time of year where you should be planning, you know, your winter feeding. You're doing a forage budget is always a worthwhile um, exercise. And, and there's a number of different online tools and, and calculators that will help you um, just how to go about doing a forage budget. There's one available on the Farm Advisory Service website. Um, so really what you need to do, again, is have your forages analysed and know what the dry matter is of those forages. And then it's also worth just sitting down with a nutritionist and working out what your winter rations are going to be so you know how much forage you're going to need for your milking cows, your dry cows and your young stock. Um, it is fairly straightforward working out how much silage is in pits if you know the the volume of your silage pit and then you just need to know the density of your silage and that will vary depending on the dry matter but also the height of the clamp as well but as a rough rule of thumb um, silage at around about 30% dry matter is going to have a density of somewhere between 600 to 700 kilos uh, per cubic meter of silage so as I say there's a lot of online calculators that will help you work out your silage stocks know what your requirements are for the different um, groups of animals on the farm and that'll give you an idea hopefully as to whether you've got enough uh, forage for the winter. Yeah, I suppose the key message there, I know it's maybe uh, back to basics and a point made often, but is, uh, is, is sampling your silage and knowing where your dry matter is and your ME and protein off the back of that. But yeah, knowing what dry matter is in the pit is key to knowing if, you, if you've got enough. Um, one thing I'll maybe pick up on there, you mentioned mycotoxin risk. Um, if, if you think there is a chance that you've that there is going to be a mycotoxin risk, is there tests available for um, detecting mycotoxins? What kind of what kind of advice can you give farmers in, in that regard? Yeah, there are certainly uh, tests that can be done that can uh, test for the most common mycotoxins. I mean, there's 
there's hundreds of different mycotoxins, but there's about five or six key ones that we tend to uh, maybe more regularly see that can affect dairy cows. Um, so just just speak to your 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 feed company. I'm sure they can arrange to get that done. It is quite a costly service, but sometimes you can um, get the cost waived if you use one of the their mycotoxin binders. Um, so it, it's maybe worth getting a test done. You don't always know there's mycotoxins present because you can have, you know, hot spots in the pit or even if there is visible mold, it doesn't necessarily mean that there'll be mycotoxins present. And the opposite is also true as well. You might not actually see any obvious signs of mold, but again, there can still be mycotoxins present and their effects tend to be additives as, additive as well. So there might be quite low levels of different mycotoxins, but the more there are, then you know, you can get additive effects and it can cause a number of different symptoms in the cow. So some mycotoxins will affect rumen function, dry matter intake and feed efficiency. So you might see, um, you know, sort of fluctuations in feed intake, but also in milk yield sort of day to day. Um, can also affect rumen function. So you might see um, cows of really, really loose muck. Um, and then there's mycotoxins that will affect fertility, ones that affect the immune system. So you might see spikes in uh, cell counts as well. So it's something to be aware of. Um, if you do think there's an issue, then maybe one of the best things to do rather than wait for the results of a test is just get a binder and, and stick it in. And usually within a couple of weeks, you'll know whether it's it's doing a job uh, and whether there's an issue there. Colin, any other thoughts on mycotoxins? That- do you see, are you hearing about cows with mycotoxin poisoning or, or issues, uh, Colin? With, with mycotoxins, from our point of view, um, we certainly hear a lot about it. Um, it's actually quite difficult to prove absolutely that mycotoxins are involved. Um, and we will very rarely see cases where we can prove it absolutely. Mm. Um, but that's not to say that there's not an effect of mycotoxins. And I think, as, as Lorna's just said, one of the best things to try and almost use it as a diagnostic test is, is to try a binder. Um, you usually get a very quick response to adding it in in terms of milk yield and or feed intake and therefore to, to try that and see how it goes. But in saying all of that, I certainly wouldn't lose sight of any of the, you know, the other probably more fundamental things around, you know, silage quality, um, TMR, mixing, uh, and and the rules around feeding TMR, really, in terms of, of how the refusal is managed and dealt with um, and, and feed availability overall. So just looking at intakes and, and trying to manage that TMR as well as possible, particularly when pits are opened to start off with, um, is, is, is probably as sound a piece of advice as any. The other comment I was going to make is around monitoring of, of diets as we get into the autumn. And, and I always feel it's a really good thing for farmers. And a lot of people will be doing this anyway, is yeah, once you get your cows established on a winter ration um, over the next few weeks, if they're not on it already, um, is, is let that all settle. And, and obviously it takes time for the herd to adapt to a new ration. Um, and it takes time for the rumen to adapt to a new ration. But, you know, once, uh, let's say, four weeks plus has elapsed onto that ration is is to really critically evaluate how that ration is performing in terms of both expected milk yield, 
but also in terms of uh, likely effects that that might have on fertility performance um, so that we can be confident going into late autumn and early winter that whatever they're on is is working and is likely to work for them as the winter progresses um, so with that in mind um, metabolic profiling tools are really really useful you know asking the cows what what they truly think of the ration so not only are you looking at the sort of clinical indicators or the yield indicators but you're, you're looking actually in detail at what those cows think about that ration metabolically um, and to some degree, using milk recording data as well can be useful in that regard as well. But but really having some some check uh, as we get further into the autumn of how these cows are taking to their their winter ration and get everything settled down as as much as we can is really really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose taking the the performance you're expecting from the, the ration and seeing if there's any shortfall should help to yeah um, flag up if there's any underlying health issues you need to look at. So. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. The other issue I'd pick up on from a, a fertility point of view, um, and it's again, it, this time of year is always a good time to, to take stock um, in terms of, of cow numbers, space availability, feed availability, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but also in terms of uh, fertility performance, if I sort of hark back again to the summer and, and heat stress, then one of the legacy effects of that will be some degree of embryo loss. Uh, most of that will be early embryonic death with cows returning to estrus fairly quickly. And and I know a lot of producers will have seen quite a bit of that occurring through August and into September. But also just, you know, bearing in mind um, that there may be, you know, further manifestations of embryo loss through into the autumn that might have occurred as a result of heat stress in early pregnancy. So um, keeping up to date with where we are with cows PD status, uh, being aware of cows that might come bullying again, um, just to make sure that they haven't lost an embryo earlier on. Uh, and just following up on all of that is is really, really important just to keep on top of things on the back of, you know, again, a, a fairly hot period of weather in the summer. Thanks, Colin. So thinking about the ration quality and making sure it's meeting the needs of the cows, if, if there is a shortfall in silage quality or quantity too, um, I know concentrates are expensive, um, Lorna, but is, is there any straights which are which are going to be cheaper? What's your kind of advice on looking at at, uh, at kind of making up that shortfall in either quality or quantity of silage? Yeah, it's a really valid point. Um, it's been such a expensive sort of last winter and this summer, for, you know, for for feed costs, and unfortunately, I think we're going to see that going into this coming winter as well. And, I thought cereal prices were going to come back quite significantly at harvest time, but I'm still hearing reports of uh, uh, barley being bought for about £180. So the cereals haven't come back as much in price as what we thought they would. Um, soy is still relatively quite expensive. It's um, The US soy harvest has just recently started in its early days, but initial reports are that yields are maybe not quite as good. And if that doesn't improve, it is likely that prices uh, will will start to head upwards. Um, I believe there is a wee bit of a shortage of rape meal uh, in the UK and you know, there's sort of limited volumes of distillers grains as well. So I think we are going to see another expensive winter for feed costs, unfortunately. And despite the fact that the milk price is maybe quite good and sort of the average uh, DEFRA farm gate milk price uh, has been around about 30 pence, 
the fact that feed costs are so expensive, uh, fuel and fertilizer costs are also up significantly on last year. It just maybe means that farmers are not quite as enthused about trying to throw as much concentrates at the cows to try and get them to to milk uh, or, or or sort of increase yield or maybe on the back of maybe slightly poorer quality forage. Um, but it's certainly worth just you know doing the economics, uh, looking at the feed costs, and is it going to be cost effective to try and push for more milk uh, with more concentrates or thinking about some of the stuff that Colin's been saying about fertility, you know, feeding for condition and wanting to protect fertility as well. Obviously, we don't want to sacrifice uh, condition and reproductive performance. You know, foragers are in short supply, then, you know, you've got your obvious sort of forage replacers, such as your draft, your brewers, grains, distillery, byproducts, um, fodder beet, tatties, these kind of things. But I think the important thing as well is know what your requirements are, but also just get them booked early. And it's the same for sort of any, any feeds as well, just with the way um, prices seem to be. I think it's certainly worthwhile just booking forward, booking your requirements uh, and what's required. I was saying, you know, more often than not, it, it makes sense to fix feed prices at the beginning of the winter. Um, but just other things like Colin mentioned, things like stocking densities, um, you know, Things like cow comfort line times, you know, if you think, you know, concentrates are going to be too expensive to, to feed a wee bit more and try and increase yields that way. Is there other aspects of management and the housing environment that we can look at to try and, um, you know, improve feed conversion efficiency and maximise, you know, forage in the diet? So looking like at things like stocking densities, making sure we've got at least 5% free cubicles, cow comfort and line times. You know, how much time are cows spending away from uh, their cubicles uh, or lying area and, and the feed fence? Can that be reduced if cows are having to stand a long time in the collecting yard for milking or they're away for other management activities? Uh, we know that an extra hour's lying time is equivalent to an extra litre of milk, roughly. So the more we can get these cows lying down, the more efficient they are at producing milk. You know, feeding management as well can, can play a bit of a part um regular push-ups every three to four hours throughout the day and we know that one of the biggest uh stimuluses for trying to encourage feed intake in cows is the delivery of fresh feed so maybe moving to feeding out uh twice a day as opposed to once a day uh and also just again thinking about the dry matter of the ration uh are we feeding high dry matter forages um can we reduce the dry matter of the overall ration we're probably targeting somewhere around about 40 percent you know, for good intakes and to uh, reduce that risk of sorting. So um, there's a few things that can be looked at, you know, on, on, you know, just like on space, feed space requirements as well, and just sort of feeding management to try and uh, maximise uh, feeding efficiency and feed conversion efficiency without having to maybe push too much for extra concentrates if it's not going to be cost effective in your system. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose when when the feed gets very expensive, it should really focus the mind to make sure you're doing everything else management wise to maximise the, the the use of that feed or the feed intakes. So yeah, aye, very very good, great points, Lorna. Any final topics either if you want to cover, Colin? Any health things you want to highlight or talk about? Yeah, a um, few of the key things just to think about health wise, and I'm thinking now towards young stock. Um, might graze further out into the autumn or early winter. Make sure that autumn parasite control is 
sufficient but not over the top would be perhaps the best summary of advice. Uh, parasite risk generally increases the further into the autumn that one gets until the temperatures really start to drop at least. So uh, just bear in mind, um, you know, making sure that the autumn grazing cattle do have some anthelmintic cover if it's needed. If it's not needed, then obviously that's okay and they can be perhaps wormed at housing time. So things to think about there and uh, talk about that one with your vet uh, and consider worm egg count monitoring as the best tool to focus that advice i think increasingly rather than just blanketing lots and lots of animals with anthelmintics without really any evidence behind it um, actually getting worm egg counts done working out what the challenge is working out what the risk is and then dosing accordingly would be the best approach to take there um, liver fluke risk always worth mentioning it at this time of year after such a dry summer um, we would suggest that it's a lower risk year um, but we just need to be a little bit conscious about how the weather goes in coming weeks as this to weather rather than being low risk, it's just delayed. But I think in the short term, at least the risk for liver fluke as it stands at the moment is relatively low, which is good news. Um, and then the other one that's worth mentioning at this time of year is just thinking in young stocker that might still be out at grass about uh, clostridial disease risk, usually presenting as unfortunately sudden deaths in animals, but Black's disease and black leg, uh, we tend to see fairly commonly at this time of year um, and uh, not exclusively out at grass, but probably more commonly in young stock out at grass. So just bear in mind what the risks might be there. And if you have are unfortunate to have an animal that dies suddenly without any obvious reason is, is to get it checked out by a postmortem examination to try and work out why and, and how that might inform future health planning. Okay, thanks for that, Colin. Yeah. Um... Okay, Lorna, I'm um, seeing a lot of stuff in the press just now about HGV shortages and um, and a lot of issues surrounding that. Are we seeing that affecting milk pickup or milk deliveries at, at all yet, or is it a wee bit overblown in the press? Um, it's a really good point, and I can understand it. It's definitely, it certainly is a concern, but as far as I'm aware, I've not really heard any uh report certainly in Scotland of, of any farmers being affected. I did hear uh, of a very small number of farmers that were affected down in England and they couldn't get their milk picked up. But um, I think that's been a very rare occurrence. Touch wood, luckily, I think milk collections haven't been affected by the shortage of uh, HGV lorry drivers. Um, and as far as I'm aware, I haven't really heard any serious issues uh, regarding on-farm deliveries. Uh, of feed. Uh, I think it's just the important thing is for farmers is to just make sure that they give all their suppliers plenty of notice when they are going to need deliveries and appreciate some things that might just take that wee bit longer than normal. I don't know, Colin, have you heard anything about milk deliveries being affected? No, not, not that I'm aware of at the moment, although just aware that it's quite a, a changeable situation at the minute. So I'm not aware of any particular issues, however. You know, milk is a very fresh product, so hopefully, in most situations, it should be prioritised. But again, if there's a if there is a real shortage, then that might not happen all the time, of course. But um, yeah, no, I thought I'd ask a question since it's uh, in the press a lot and see see what you'd heard. Great points from both of you, as usual. So uh, thank you for your time, for your contribution, and uh, I'll round up on that. So thank you, thank you both. Thank you. Thank you.